0: Well, good morning. I'm excited this morning to uh, finish up the series that we've been in. Thanks, Dan. Uh, over the last two weeks, we've been looking at how do we move from here to there in our lives, and, and we've looked at how does God use the moments that he puts in our life, the everyday moments, uh, to actually propel us to, stay, to take steps of faith, So that those moments would become movements. And we looked at how does God call us to move beyond a one-day-a-week mentality when it comes to the church and our engagement with the church. Many of us see it as this one-day uh, one experience, and, and yet God is actually calling us and causing us to, to be the church uh, and, to, and to not just go to church, but to be the church. And that's what we've looked at the past two weeks. And, and today we're going to be looking at the place Where we all collectively are headed. In our journey from here to there, there is a destination that God longs for all of us to travel towards. And the journey and the path that we walk to, uh, to to get from this here to there, is called the process of transformation. Transformation. And so much of the content of what I'm going to teach from this morning and what I'm going to share from this morning really comes from uh, two gentlemen that have been mentors and theologians uh, and writers and pastors in my, in my own life, and that is John Ortberg and Dallas Willard. And I would just, by, as I start this message before I dive into it, I would tell you by any book they've ever written and read it. Um, It will help you, Uh, and and so much of the content of what I'm going to share with you this morning really comes from, from the role that they have played in my own life in helping me to better understand the process of transformation. So I'd love for us to start by praying, and then we'll jump in, okay? Father, I thank you that your mercies are new to us every day. I thank you that every day there is a fresh start with your faithfulness and with your grace. And Jesus, I pray right now that your presence would be in this space. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that for many, God, you would convict. And Father, I pray that my words would not distract in any way, but God, that they would be used so that you could bring about your truth here today. I trust you, Father. I give you my words, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, uh, our kids are very, very excited about tomorrow. Uh, Halloween is tomorrow. And Halloween has a lot of perks, doesn't it? Uh, When you think about it, it's a pretty awesome holiday because you literally, you put a costume on and you knock on somebody's door and they give you free candy. I mean, that's not bad. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, But it's not necessarily the candy that our kids most love. What they most love about Halloween is actually the costume part. They love dressing up. They love pretending to be someone else. They love the masks and the accessories that go with the costumes. And, and for them, if they could do it every day, they would love it. I mean, on a regular basis, uh, I will have moments where I will come downstairs, and I'm thinking that my kids are going to be sitting there talking, and I walk downstairs, and there's a Batman and a princess at our at our kitchen bar ready to, you know, have breakfast. They love putting on their costumes all the time. And we've got a bunch of them in our house. And so, you know, at any given moment, there may be somebody, you know, that's trying to dress up and do something, and, and they're always looking for an opportunity to dress up. In fact, last night, uh, Jared had taken the kids over to some friend's house, and they came back, and we were getting them ready for bed, and, and we said, you know, Elijah, go up and get your PJs on and, you know, and, and come back down and brush your teeth. And instead of going up to get his PJs on, he literally went upstairs. I don't know where he found this. It was in, a, it was in some sort of basket, and he came down with only this on, Okay only this on. And I was like, I don't know how this translates to get your PJs on and brush your teeth, but somehow in his mind, it did. And so he came running into our bedroom, and Jared and I were just cracking up. And kids love costumes. Now, on Friday night, I went to a benefit, and afterwards, uh, we went out with a friend, and um, I, I realized that kids are not the only ones that like costumes. I saw some adults that were very interestingly dressed on Friday night in this city, and um, it, it was fascinating. A lot of zombies out there, and a lot of interesting takes on zombies. I saw um, hipster zombies, uh, grandma zombies, uh, scantily clad zombies. I, I don't know if that was like a memo that went out through Facebook, but a lot of zombies out there. And and, and you know, Halloween is fun, and, and and we get all dressed up in these costumes and that kind of thing. And, but the spiritual life can actually, in a strange sort of way, seem a bit like Halloween, but the exact opposite. Instead of dressing up one day a year, for many, for many, there are a series of masks and costumes that have been built into our everyday wardrobe that cover up our true self. And for many, there are more days than not that we go through our closet of spiritual costumes And and we start to play a part instead of actually becoming the person that God created us to be. We play a part instead of becoming the person that God created us to be. We find our spiritual masks, we find our spiritual costumes, and and we find whatever opportunity we can to wear them. We've sort of learned the craft and the art of, of knowing what to say when a certain question is asked. We've learned how to reveal just enough about ourselves so that, so that we can sort of stay protected and safe. We've learned how to, how to cover up and to portray an image that, that we're a person that's at peace and, and, and we're, we're self-controlled when all the while our souls literally feel anxious and confused and worried or stressed. And playing a part is an exhausting way to live, isn't it? I mean, always... Trying to keep up an image, or, or or keep the plates spinning in life, maybe maybe you've had this experience where where you've been in a relationship, and in that relationship you just you felt like you could never fully be yourself. I don't know if you've ever had had a, one, a, a relationship like that, but it's exhausting. To, to try and play a part. Or maybe it's at work where, where you feel like you know, everyone knows you as this, this upbeat and, and happy co-worker. And, and, if, and if they were to really see what was going on, if they were to pull back the layers, the, 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 the real you, the true you, is, is actually struggling with, with, a, with, a, with a form of depression and sadness. But, but you play a part of, of happy and everything's good. But that's not the truest space that you feel within. Maybe people see you as this confident, self-assured individual, and on the inside you are just riddled with fear. And this kind of faux spirituality is overwhelming, isn't it? It's tiring, and it's not what Jesus ever intended for our life. Jesus said, I have come to give life and to give life abundantly. And when we try to play a part, we are not living life to the fullest. And it's no wonder that the most common critique of Christians in this world is our hypocrisy. You see, none of us were created to play a part. We were created to become the people that God intended us to be. But somehow over time, we began to just play parts instead of to actually transform into the people God intended us to be. And the temptation to wear a mask or to, to put on a spiritual costume, it's high. And just the other day, um, I had a moment when I was talking with a friend and, and we were we're growing in our relationship. We've known one another for you know for about a year now, and, and we're building a good friendship, and, and we were talking with one another and catching up, and she said, she said, How are you doing? And I had this moment where where I thought. I don't know, maybe I should just give her the polite answer. You know, maybe maybe that's what she's asking. You know, cuz sometimes when people ask how are you doing, they don't really want you to tell them, do you? <laughs> they they just want you to give the polite answer. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. They don't they don't want to get the list, the laundry list of all of how you're actually doing. And I was in this conversation and I really wanted to tell her what what I was feeling. I wanted to answer her question with vulnerability. I didn't want to allow my masks that I'm tempted to wear to enter into that conversation. What I wanted to say was, you know what, it's, it's been a really full week. I feel overwhelmed. I feel tired. The other day, I was impatient with my kids. I feel like my prayers over this past week have been a lot more of me asking God to do things instead of me just sitting and being present with him. I wanted to tell her that there was something in my life that I was feeling sad and discouraged about. And, and I wanted to say, and honestly, I was afraid to even tell you that because there's a certain part of me that's, that's afraid that I don't know what you're going to think of me. And I wanted to say those things, but I knew that that would require vulnerability. I knew that would require time. I knew that would require trust. And so instead I said, I'm doing okay. I'm a bit tired. Life is a little full. I played a part for a moment. Instead of letting her truly see me, and it's not that I it was intentionally trying to deceive her or to keep you know, her from something in my life, but I just decided in that moment, I'm going to choose the mask of safety right now. I'm going to just keep this mask on, and I'm going to stay protected, and I'm going to stay guarded instead of choosing to live into freedom. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage. Um, it's probably uh, two of my most favorite verses in all the Bible. And we're going to look at a passage that talks about how are we truly transformed into the people that God intended us to be instead of choosing to stay conformed and wearing masks that we often feel tempted to wear. And I'd love for you to grab your Bible. It's right in front of you. And I'd love for you to open it up to the book of Romans. It's towards the end of the, towards the, end of the Bible. And the book of Romans was written by Paul who arguably is probably one of the most influential writers when it comes to the process of spiritual transformation. And you can turn to page 1047. We're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. And these two verses are actually the two verses that birthed the vision of this church. These are the two passages that God led us to when we sensed that God was saying, Soul City Church needs to be a church that is about leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. So I want us to read these verses together, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me read it for you. Paul says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So see, Paul starts out this verse with this compelling plea, doesn't he? He says, I urge you brothers and sisters i mean this is an appeal this is not a like if you get around to it one day kind of suggestion that paul's throwing out there paul is saying this is really important you need to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice he says offer your body and, and you can you can translate offer your body as literally paul was saying every part of yourself Present all of who you are to all of who God is. And as you do that, that is actually what worship is. Now it's interesting that Paul says here, offer your body. It's almost as if he knows that we are tempted to hand over partial control to God, aren't we? We're tempted to say, God, you can have this part of my life and you can have this part of my life, but man, I I just really don't want you to touch this part. You know, God, you know, I'm okay if you enter into this and you answer these prayers and, and you help me out with this. But really, I, I mean, please don't, don't get involved with my finances. And, and it's almost as if Paul is saying, you know, it, we have this temptation to give over sections of ourselves to God. That we're, that we're not okay with him invading every area of our life. But when we give him our whole selves, which is what the word body represents here in this passage, it is referred to literally as a yielding of the spirit. That's what that means when when we offer over our whole body. It essentially says you yield your entire spirit over to God. And when you think about a time when, when you're yielded completely, the only time that you're fully yielded completely in spirit is when you're dead, right? I mean I mean that's the moment when you're fully yielded and and Paul is actually using that what he's saying is I want you to die to those parts that you are unwilling to yield over to God and that is actually pleasing worship to him Beyond what we do here on Sundays when we sing and when we celebrate God, he finds so much joy and pleasure when we take all of who we are and we yield it to all of who he is. He says when we do that, that that is true worship. That when we don't section and parcel ourselves out over to God, but when we say, I will give all of myself over to you. And then the passage moves on, and it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Paul goes on and says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. He understands the temptation to not just you know, parcel ourselves out to God, but there is also a temptation to just drift along with the rest of culture. And he's essentially saying, when you drift, you will actually be conformed not transformed. You see, the difference between being conformed and transformed is that when you are conformed, you experience outside change. It's behaviors. It's things that you do. But when you are transformed... you experience an inside change. It's within. Your personhood begins to be changed. When we're conformed, what happens is we just play a part. But when we're transformed, we become the person. That God created us to be. When we're conformed, it's culture and people that play a role of power in our life. But when we're transformed, God is the one who has all the power to change us. When we are transformed, it's a temporary adjustment. But when we are transformed, it is holistic and it's eternal. And this is the difference between being conformed and being transformed. When you're conformed, it's just outside behaviors. You just start to do a few little things differently. But when you are transformed, there is literally an inner change from within yourself. When you are conformed, you play a part. You can go to church on Sundays. You can join a small group. You can sort of read just enough in the Bible. You can have just enough answers to get your way through spirituality. But when you are transformed, you are becoming a new person. When you're conformed, culture and people, they play all of the role of power in your life. They're the ones that set the trajectory of who you're going to become. You look at somebody else and you go, you know, maybe that's who I should be like. And you start to follow them. You look at culture and you go, you know, maybe that's what I should be like. I should just, you know, make sure my life looks like that. But when you're transformed, God is the power and the influence in your life. Conformity looks different all the time. It's temporary adjustments. When you're with this group, you look like that. When you're with this group, you look like that. But when you are transformed, it is a holistic, eternal change. And Paul goes on to say, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You see, the, mind tr- the word transformed is literally translated to the word metamorpho. Which is where we get the word metamorphosis. And we all know, you know, where that where that comes from, right? It's the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And Paul uses a portion of that word in another letter that he writes later on in the book of Galatians. And he says, until Christ is formed in you. You see, the transformation God desires for us is a process of us literally morphing into Christ's likeness. When we choose the route of transformation, we are morphed into the image of Christ's likeness. And it's not a someday kind of morphing into Christ likeness. The kingdom of God is supposed to be marked by changed lives right here and right now. It's not something that we're supposed to do one day. The fruit of the spirit of transformation should literally be bubbling over in our lives if we are choosing the root of transformation. That if we, are, if we are in the root of transformation, we should see the spirit of love, the spirit of joy, the spirit of peace, the spirit of patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That those are the things that people see in our lives. But oftentimes the people of God, under the surface, are just as anxious, they're just as driven, they're just as unsettled or angry or unhappy or ego-filled as anyone outside of the church, aren't they? It's because we're tempted to put on masks and costumes and conformed towards a faux spirituality. An important question needs to be asked. Why aren't the people in the kingdom of God morphing? Why are we continuing to choose the path of being conformed instead of the path of transformation? I think for many, their spiritual journey has asked them to make outward spiritual behavior modifications while never looking beneath the surface to take an inward state of the soul, which is where true transformation takes place. I see two big concerns as to why transformation isn't taking place in the kingdom. The first is an issue with looking for the right paperwork. I think for years, for far too many years, The gospel has been making sure that when someone comes face-to-face with Jesus at the end of their life, those that are are devoted to the gospel, their one mission is to make sure that they have the right paperwork in hand when they meet Jesus. And that is an important work, isn't it? It is an important work to make sure that that when we meet Jesus face to face, that we have received sanctification, that that we have been brought into relationship with Jesus. But it's not just about carrying the right paperwork. Jesus never said, now I'm going to go and tell you what you need to say to get into heaven when you die. He never said that. The gospel writers make it clear that Jesus' good news was that we no longer have to live with guilt or with failure or live in our own strength. The transforming presence and power of God is available through Christ right here and right now. And to live in that power, you must become a disciple of Jesus. Dallas Willard, he says that you literally need to be an apprentice of Jesus. And that is the root of transformation. The second issue, while the first issue is just making sure oftentimes that people carry the right papers, the second issue that keeps us from true transformation is what I like to call the fake ID. Now, I have actually never had a fake ID. That is the truth. I never have. But I remember uh, the first Christmas that I came home from college, and I met up with all of my high school friends. And literally, we were all hanging out, and I think we were at like Chili's or something like that. And the number one order of business was everyone to show their fake ID. And everyone sort of got their fake ID out and was like, look at what they named me, you know, look at where I live, you know. And, And everyone was sort of putting their fake ID on the table. And a fake ID helps you get into a place that you really have no business being in, right? And when I first became a sincere Jesus follower in junior high, I subtly started learning that there were certain things that Christians do and say, and then there are certain things that they don't. It was like learning like, uh, the rules of Fight Club, right? Uh, like the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club, right? And, and people, talk about, people don't talk about these things, but you feel it in the Christian community. It was evident to me when I was first becoming a Jesus follower that if someone asked me a question about my spiritual life, they were actually asking me if I had had a quiet time. Or if I had memorized a verse. That when someone said to me, how, you know, how's, how are you doing? How are you doing with, in, in your spiritual life? How are you and Jesus doing? That the question was, I was supposed to tell them, um, yeah, I, I don't like getting up in the morning. Um, yeah, haven't had a quiet time in a while. I know one verse, Jesus wept. Um, like, that, that, like, like that was how I was supposed to translate that question. And it was never said But it was felt. Maybe you've had that experience. It was evident to me when I was first becoming a Jesus follower that when it came to to leadership, when it came to spiritual leaders, there were sins that were okay for spiritual leaders to commit. There there were sins like um, like, like pride. That that one was okay. We sort of just turned a blind eye to that one. Um, Jealousy. That wasn't that big of a deal. But if you saw a spiritual leader and they were smoking or they were drinking or they were saying four-letter words, that was really, really bad. And, And you were about to be disqualified from leadership. And when I noticed this early on, I noticed that there were these exterior behaviors that sort of made up what it looked like to be a Christian. That you, you've got to have the right paperwork to get into heaven, and you've got to carry the fake ID. And Paul writes about being morphed in Romans 12.1. He gives a command. He gives a command, but what's amazing about this command is he does it in a passive voice. He doesn't say, transform yourself. He doesn't say, just go out and transform yourself. He says, be transformed because we can't make transformation happen ourselves it's something that God does but there is a role that we play there's a role that we play and it doesn't have anything to do with choosing to follow a route of faux spirituality first Corinthians 925 says this. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And here's the reason why I believe many people give up on the path of transformation. I believe that they have spent the majority of their spiritual life trying To be transformed, when in reality, we are called into being trained towards transformation. You see, it's one thing to just try and be like Jesus, but there's an enormous difference between trying and training, isn't there? There's an enormous difference between trying to do something versus training to do it. When Jarrett finished the marathon a few weeks ago, I was so proud of him. And, and partially because it was such a great moment, and they were like playing in the background, we are the champions, and you know, people are raising their hands, and everyone's crying, and is so happy, and, and I mean, it's just, it's an amazing moment, right? And, and, and we're there, and we're celebrating, and, and part of the reason why I was so proud of him was because for four months, I watched him train. And for four months, he reminded me of his training. On a regular basis, he told me, here's how far I ran, babe. In fact, why don't we get in the car? Let's go drive it so you can see just how far it is. I mean, it's really far. I think this would be fun. The kids would like it. Let's pack them up, you know, and we'll just have a little, we'll just have a little field trip so you can see how far I have run, you know, and he trained and he worked hard for four months, but you know what's amazing? When he crossed that finish line and we started walking out of, you know, the, the area of Grant Park there, I had this moment that came over me of utter fear. Because when Jarrett signed up to do the marathon, he signed up with an agreement between him and me. He agreed to run the marathon in 2011 if I would agree to run the marathon in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we walked out of there and I started realizing, oh my gosh, I need to do this. I, I, have, to, I have to actually do this now. In fact, the other night we were driving down to Navy Pier and, and during that like six to seven mile drive, every couple seconds he goes, oh, I remember running past here. And then we drive about three more minutes. He goes, yeah, I remember running past here. Then we drive like three or four minutes. He's like, yeah, I remembered running past here. And I thought, that was all in one run? Like you did that all at one moment? And I had utter fear because I knew that I would need to train for this. And training means arranging our life around those activities that enable us to do what we cannot do now, even by extreme effort. And significant human transformation always involves training. Not trying. And I fear that when it comes to our spiritual transformation, many of us get stuck thinking, if I would just try harder to be like Jesus. If I would just try harder. And trying to be like Jesus usually just leads us to frustration. Because when the trying proves ineffective, most people eventually quit or they go back to their pseudo-Christianity. Authentic spiritual transformation begins with training. It begins with discipline. And as we train ourselves in godliness, we begin to overcome the limits of sinful patterns. You see, the purpose of training, the purpose of discipline, the purpose of applying this kind of work in our life is always for the purpose of freedom training myself to be free of the obstacles that hinder my transformation that is the root of spiritual transformation and and like any athlete there's all different forms of training that's necessary You see, the training required, it varies from person to person. It varies because of our unique stories, our personalities, depending on our maturity, our particular sins that we struggle with. And sins usually can loosely be divided into two categories. And this is often where God tends to train us. The first is the sin of omission. There's the sin of omission. It's not doing what I ought to do. That's what a sin of omission is. The second is the sin of commission, doing what I know I shouldn't do. And there is a connection between the type of sins that we wrestle with, areas where we need to grow, and the disciplines that we will need to train in so that we can pursue transformation. For example, with the sin of omission, not doing the things that I ought to be doing, some of the, the best training and the discipline for this kind of sin is the discipline of abstinence. Things like fasting or solitude or silence. You know, for example, if, if you were to be a person that struggles with gossip, okay, a great discipline for you, a great training for you in the path of transformation is the discipline of silence. The discipline to choose not to speak. That is how you train yourself towards transformation. You see the difference? Somebody that's choosing to be conformed, someone that's choosing to be conformed, they continue to just exercise the gossip, don't they? They conform to the circle. They conform to what's being said. The person that chooses the root of transformation says, I am going to train myself. I am going to train my tongue. I am going to be silent. That's training versus trying. With the sin of commission. There are patterns and behaviors that I am doing that I know I need to stop doing. Some of the best training and discipline for this kind of sin is the disciplines of engagement. Disciplines of engagement are often those of worship or studying God's word or prayer. For example, if you struggle with with being judgmental or being negative, the discipline of celebration and worship is an important discipline in your life. Because it's, it's you saying, I am going to intentionally choose to be in God's presence, corporately worshiping him. So, so oftentimes, the sins or are the areas of struggle that we have, there is a way for us to train in the root of transformation. Example, if you're struggling with impatience, training may mean rearranging your life for opportunities for the Holy Spirit to increase your patience. Where you literally say to yourself, I'm a very impatient person. Today I'm going to intentionally choose to get in the slowest lane while driving. (laughs) I'm going to. I'm going to get in the slowest lane because there is a spirit of hurry about me. When people are with me, I'm always hurried, I'm always moving, I'm always busy. People start their sentences by saying, and I struggle with this all the time. People will start their sentences with me by saying, Jeannie, I know you're really busy, but could we? And do you know what happens when they start that way? I grieve. Because what I have given them is a picture of a hurried person. That's not what God intended for my life. That's not what he intended for your life. If you're a person that struggles with patience, you need to get in the slow lane this week. You need to purposely get in the longer line at the grocery store. It will be so good for you. If you struggle with an addiction, okay, if you struggle with an addiction, training may mean the discipline of abstinence. And not just the discipline of abstinence, of abstaining from that thing, but inviting someone into your life for accountability. If you're struggling with control, training may mean putting yourself in settings where you can be under godly authority, where you can exercise submission. Those that tend to like to be in control, they like to find ways where they don't have to be accountable to anyone. Where they don't have to have a boss. And if the Holy Spirit is calling you to break patterns of sin, merely trying to break those patterns of sin, I'm here to tell you it will not work. You cannot try yourself out of sin, it's, it's not possible. It is not what Jesus intended. Spiritual transformation is a long-term endeavor. It involves both God and us. And there are very real forces that do not want you to be transformed. There is a very real enemy that literally wants you to live your life in this column. That is doing everything possible to keep you there. You see, the enemy is committed to you actually becoming the greatest obstacle in your own transformation to put every possible mountain in the way so that you will choose to conform instead of transform but here's the amazing thing transformation is all about a mountain moving business isn't it it's a mountain moving business And moving from here to there in our life is an enormous journey. But we serve a God that simply said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, what can you do? Tell that mountain to move and it'll move. And transformation is possible. It is literally why this church exists. We are committed, we are devoted, we are compelled, we are driven, we are passionate. We are almost downright crazy about transformation here at Soul City Church. Because the possibility of transformation is the essence of hope. And I have no hope in you, and you should have no hope in me. But do you know where I have hope? My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in Jesus, because Jesus is who transforms us. We can't put our hope in one another, thinking, you know, they're going to give me the right, the right fix, the right, you know, counsel, the right little, you know, step that I need to take, or, you know, I'm going to put my hope in her. She, she seems like she's getting a little bit better. Maybe I'll get a little bit better. Our hope should be in Jesus, because Jesus is who transforms us. And when you are transforming, you should start to look different. We should see it in your life, we should see it in your eyes. When you're transforming, you should start to think different. When you are transforming, you should start to pray different. When you are transforming, those that you once judged, you should start to see them with new sets of eyes. When you are transforming, you don't look to consume and get more out of this, wor- out of this world, or you don't look to consume and get as much as you can out of the church What you do is you go, how can I give? How can I be generous? When you're transforming, there is a peace that passes understanding about you. When you're transforming, trials become opportunities to grow versus moments to question God's sovereignty. When we're transforming, there is a freedom about our future. When we're transforming, we are saying words on a regular basis like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? When we're transforming, we are seeking to understand before we cast judgment. When we are transforming, we live in truth and trust instead of suspicion. When we're transforming, we stand up for injustices. And when we're transforming, we don't allow gossip or malice or slander to come out of our mouths or the mouths of others. When we're transforming, that's when the world starts to take notice. Because every other being in this world is choosing this path. And Jesus says, I have given you a path, and it is a path of transformation. And my prayer for us as a church is that this city will experience a transformational revolution because of a group of people at 1130 West Adams Street that will rise up and say, I will not be conformed. I will not be conformed, but I will be transformed. I'm going to invite the band to come up for for us to spend some time worshiping. And in a moment, we're going to receive our offering. Um, but uh, But before we close, I just want to take a moment, and I want to read this verse to you again. And I'm going to ask you to just uh, close your eyes for a moment and to put down any distraction that might, might be in the way. And while we listen to this verse, I want you to ask this question. Jesus, where do you want to transform me? Where do you want to transform me? Because here's the beauty of transformation one of the questions that people ask me all the time is, how do I know God's will? How do I know what God wants me to do? And do you know what this passage ends by saying? It says, you will be able to test and approve that God's will, his good and pleasing will, that it is perfect. So I'm going to read this passage to you, and I encourage you to ask this question. Jesus, Where do you want to transform me? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will.